0: Well, dear future, I'm ready to stretch you, I'm ready to uh, expand you and I'm ready to shape you in a way that's good for us all and good for the world we live on.
1: This is Dear Future, I'm Ready, a podcast brought to you from Amsterdam by Digital Society School and Transformational Studio. Hi everyone! Thanks for tuning in again. I'm sorry to say that my co-host Carola is now still not with us due to personal reasons. This is especially pity because this is the last conversation in this series of 21 conversations with transformational leaders, and I wish her, of course, all the best. But for now, I would like to welcome Dr. Christian Basen, who is CEO of the Danish Design Center, a non-profit foundation backed by the design uh, by the Danish government. Pursuing missions across green, digital, and social transitions, the Danish Design Center creates new opportunities for innovation and sustainable growth for business, organizations, and designers. Previously, Christian was director of MindLab, the Danish government's innovation team, and a business manager with Ramble Management Consulting. Christian is the author of nonetheless eight books on innovation, design, and leadership, including his latest title, Expand Stretching the Future by Design. He has published in numerous publications such as Harvard Business Review and Stanford Social Innovation Review. And Christian has taught executives at, for example, Oxford, Side Business School, Henley MBA, the European School of Administration and Copenhagen Business School. He has a Master in Political Science and a PhD in Design Leadership and Governance. Well, I would like to welcome Christian to the floor then. Welcome, Christian, to this episode. Good to be here. Thanks so much. So in this uh, series of podcasts, uh, Christian, we are talking to 21 transformational leaders, uh, people who are front runners and to whom we can ask what the view is like from there so that they can inspire us in our transformational journeys. So I would like to talk to you uh, today, Christian, about transition design, the role and responsibilities of governments in designing transformations, uh, what you call mission-driven design, and new visions on the design professions. And perhaps even from all of the perspectives that you have, if I read your CV, the academic one, the practical one, the organizational one, and of course the governmental perspective. So uh, Christian, welcome Uh, again. um, I would like to start with a very big question. Um, So we have to really uh, acknowledge that we are in a terminus time. Um, I mean, we just finished the COPE uh, Summit uh, and now the important summit in Canada is, uh, is on, on biodiversity, and it's about to start. And uh, if you look at the dynamics around these summits, uh, it's probably summing up uh, how we are doing as a species and as a planet. It's it's a bit of a mess. So how do you view this um, these dynamics and um, yeah, how is this time affecting your work and your mission?
0: Yeah, so it is in a way a bit of a mess and it's, it's kind of uh, strange that we've always talked about, you know uh the changes happening and and why we need to innovate and transform and um and it's as if today there are more reasons than ever i mean you have this multi crisis right and of course as you say the COP was just finished recently and 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 and, and the climate crisis the biodiversity crisis which there's also a un meeting on as we speak and the environmental crisis are probably the most existential ones but at the same time, we have an energy crisis. We have a war happening very close by here in Europe. Um, we have a mental health crisis in many countries, I know, including both in the Netherlands and certainly certainly in, in my own country in Denmark. And so there are many, many reasons to work very hard for positive change. And so if there ever was a time when we need to explore what does it take to lead a transformation, what does it take to drive transitions what does it take to create new types of movements that shift societies well now is certainly
1: the time yeah definitely and and i know that your organization is co- of course uh, um, crucial i think within denmark in in, in this endeavor um h- how how do you go about it as an organization mm. I mean, you have the tools there to to impact yeah. people's lives. I mean,
0: we've been around as an organization for more than 40 years, uh, always with the mandate to advance the value of design. Mm. Uh, at first, in industry and business. Actually, interestingly, uh, when we had another crisis, namely in the 1970s, um, where, where there were other types of challenges, but also some similarities to the current situation. Um, we've recently adopted a new strategy Well, uh, two years ago, where we said, we are not just about you know, spreading the word and helping as many businesses or organizations as possible use use design for, for innovation and, and growth, but we are about mm, addressing the bigger transitions that society is going through. And by opening up new spaces for businesses, for innovators, and also for government, we believe that we can make a positive contribution to society at the same time as demonstrating the value and the impact uh, of of design as a dis- as a discipline as a profession as a way of thinking and as a set of methodologies and so we had decided uh, to say that you know we will pursue three uh, big transitions uh, the green transition the yeah. digital transition and the social transition and within those big complex areas, we've chosen a smaller set of, of missions, which are more tangible, more concrete, saying what, where do we actually want to play or where do we want to contribute and where do we want to involve businesses, involve government actors, involve civil society. And so the first one is in the green space where we decided to look and and work very, very hard on a circular economy. And the reason for that is that that, you know, uh, about half of, of all climate footprint is due to material use uh, and we also know that 80 of, uh, percent of of um, of the carbon footprint of any product is decided in the design phase by by designers or in the design process so there's a huge role to play in rethinking how we design for circularity uh, and for re- reuse and regeneration so that's one big mission for us. A second one is on, on on digital, which is where we focus on ethics and responsibility in digital. So yes, we have all, all these crises. We also have technology that as, that can be an enabler and can be an incredible, powerful uh, help in, in driving uh, positive change. But how do we make sure that technology is also ethical? And so we're focusing on ethics and then responsibility in digital and how we design more responsible solutions uh, that are also good for people and the planet. Mm-hmm. And finally, and thirdly, In the social transition space, we are looking at mental health uh, because for the young generation, but actually for everyone, uh, we in a society that's accelerating and beginning more and more uh, compressed in terms of demands and performance and time. And we have these crises that are also accelerating the changes and the the stress on people, um, not least young people in the next generation. So thriving youth is the theme where we're looking at how can we use the designally tools and methods to really Shift the system uh, here in Denmark, but also ideally uh, in other countries uh, to to a more thriving um, community-based uh, smart way of working with with mental health. So so that's that's yeah. what we the work we're doing, and and I find personally that here we have a way that combines the potential in the market and what business can do. But also what government needs to do and other actors in society need to do, and that's the kind of the power of this mission-oriented approach and that we are we're
1: taking. And the fact that you're government funded uh, yeah. does that help, or is that actually uh, something that that might slow you down? It can do both, uh,
0: and as you know, I've worked deep inside government. Uh, we're working, you know, co-funded by government, and we also have, a, a, like, our, our board also has government-appointed uh, uh, representatives, including our, our chairman. So there is a close relationship now. By by now, we we've we built our organization as an independent foundation. Yeah, which gives us independence and arm's length, so we can do things that that are decided by our board and our strategy, and that are maybe not what the government would would uh, prioritize, and and that's fine, and they they accept that. Um, what it means to have the government sponsorship is that when the Danish government says the green transition is critical, then they look at us and say we would like to fund that in your organization. And then we say, okay, uh, let's find good ways where we can contribute with with the the tools we have and with the design community that we are connected with. And so for us now, it's it's quite a large proportion of our projects within that mission on circularity that I mentioned that are funded by the state. It gives us some muscle and some impact because we then have their backing, both formally and financially. It also allows us to leverage that to do more projects and more bigger portfolio of things. So I would say, yeah. The processes can sometimes be slow in in reaching agreement on what to do, um, but once we've agreed, then we actually have a very fruitful working relationship, and we have the the the, the benefit of of uh, very targeted funding on something that we also see is important. So I would say uh, it can it can vary over time, but right now I think it's a it's a relatively happy marriage.
1: Very nice, and 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 you also touched upon uh, the designer, and uh, the responsibility of this us as designers as a profession. Yes. Um, in your your new book, I just read, is um, uh, you say you take readers beyond design thinking. Mm. It's of course still the the big method and approach that most mm. of uh, the designers choose to challenge current habits and carve out new space for more sustainable innovation. And I, I guess you mean um to challenge the designers right and, yeah, and sure. also the current habits of designers which mm-hmm. what would you say are these habits that we might have to challenge and change
0: yeah there are several challenges right and uh, of course the new book expand is not only about critiquing design and designers but is using in a way where we've got to as a jumping off point for something more and more ambitious and 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 uh more wide-ranging you can say we call it expansive thinking right um yeah. I think the critique is in s- several types of critiques. I mean, one is, of in, obviously that 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 design is more than than posters and toasters. It's more than graphics and products. Uh, and 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 design and designers need to advance their profession to keep up to speed with the challenges we're facing. Uh, moving into services, which is not new, moving into strategy, which is in a way not new either, but then moving into systems and into longer-term transition and transformation. Yeah. So there's that challenge you can say of design as only you know craftsmanship and and giving a form is one part of it but the other critique is of design thinking which in a way is what's gotten design into the boardroom right design thinking is what's gotten us into the corporate lingo you know there's you know there's no business school on the planet today that with any self-respect does not have a course in design thinking Uh, and there's no large corporate uh with with any self-respect that hasn't run the courses and the trainings and uh some kind of work with design thinking, mm-hmm. uh, so in a way that's been an incredible success, uh, but it's also reached a point where we are not getting that much further with 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 design thinking because in a way it's also reduced design to a set of processes and methods yeah, and and doesn't account for many other things everything from aesthetics and craftsmanship to culture to systems to long-term thinking uh and 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 so what we are saying is we need to bring the thinking into design thinking uh, because it's really been reduced to a set of of, of methods and tools
1: and it also changed of course the role of the designer where you first were very much uh, the person who just facilitated the product Mm-hmm. Uh, then you became this kind of facilitator of context, eh, where, with services mm-hmm. and experiences. Uh, and now, I think a lot of us are calling for leadership. Eh? Leadership as uh, designers have to lead this kind of transformations. Yeah. Uh, but what I, I I I mean I I talk about this a lot and I give talks about this as well. And um, but what I notice is that people are actually uh, they have a hard time to grasp what that means. Yes. Um, That's true. How do you make sure that? you have the story right and you what kind of tools do you you know uh, give the the designers from perhaps the danish design center do you have kind of a toolkit or is it not just that's also like flatten it again, eh? Like, right.
0: um, yeah, that's the um, risk, right? So of course we have a toolkit. Yeah, yeah, we have lots of toolkits. You can just check out our website; it's full of toolkits. <laughs> we, we, we we can drown you in toolkits. Yeah, um, and and of course tools are practical and and they are in a way a way to codify a, a program or a project. So we often publish those kinds of things, um, and increasingly we publish tools and toolkits also on on missions and on scenarios and and more sophisticated things that that require quite a lot of skill to. To, uh, to do well, right? Um, but I think in terms of what, where to position designers, again, we actually had the debate today. We had a, a seminar together with uh, a senior designer from Ersted, which is the world's most sustainable energy company, at least they've, mm-hmm. they've got that award a few times. Uh, they're, they're leading in, in offshore and wind and have themselves gone through a huge transformation from uh, being basically coal and gas. To now being um, almost exclusively sustainable energy. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, the, the point that we were discussing and that I think he was making is that it's not every designer who just magically can step into systems innovation or leadership or transformational leadership, whatever you want to call it. Um, first of all, it's probably not for anyone at all, and and secondly, you have to take some baby steps to go in and maybe do the products, do the services. His team started out in a, in a digital uh, product design and and showed you know what the power of design is there before then moving into more complex issues and demonstrating that kind of value. Yeah. So I think we have to have a much more nuanced perspective on what is a designer, what are the roles designers can take on. And I don't think very many designers actually are good leaders or will become good leaders or and should become yeah. good leaders. But I think that some designers would definitely move into strategic positions and with their skills, they they will they will they can make a huge impact there. I also think that just like we did with design thinking, which was democratizing design to non-designers, mm. we need to democratize a new form of more ambitious design thinking. But the next generation and this generation you could say of of, of leaders and and innovators right so there's yeah. you know professional designers that are trained in design and then there's a broader way of giving access to the designerly ways of working it does not make you a designer to use the tools or the processes in design thinking or a designer to use the you know the expansive tools and approaches we have in the book yeah. but but it's also part of it and it's it's i think any any organization needs to think about what roles Can design play and what what are the different uh um competencies you need to have in place uh to 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 do this it's not a one-size-fits-all
1: no and this is crucial i think you touch upon competencies and and then of Mm. course the 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 role of education uh comes into play yeah um i'm in education Uh, we we started digital society school and actually we teach transformation design as we call it, um, to, um, yeah, across generations, across a group of trainees, as we call them, who come from all over the world, um, different age groups. Um, so we try to kind of like mingle and mix and match. Um, um, so if you look at, you know, your book, um, your center, um, the government, uh, what, what does education play what kind of role does it play and how do you approach it do you have any collaborations with universities or how do you yeah make sure that you yeah, also so, train?
0: yeah so <clears throat> one thing that that we are right now very involved in and drive, driving for is a new design policy for denmark so at a very high government level, we we believe we need a new policy. We actually have a and an, the last one that was explicitly on design is from two thousand and seven. Then we've yeah. had others that are both about design and creative industries, but but we believe we need a, a design policy, especially given the need for you know m- focus on sustainability and 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 as you say transformation, um and part of that is about education about competition skills. And we have a very, you know, we have new data that we've collected um, in partnership with the Confederation of Danish Industry that shows how Danish companies are struggling to embrace the green transition, embrace circularity and, and new business models and new types of products and services. And there's a gap we see in the data between what companies need. And they do need you know, design skills, they need material understanding, they need designers who can help them redesign value chains and new business models. They need product designers, they de- do need industrial designers, they need to build new product service systems. But yeah. when you then look at whether they can find the competencies, they really can't. Mm. And so we need to think about, of course, supporting companies and understanding what they need to demand and look for in design, because design can definitely help. But that we also need to th- rethink education and make sure that the next generation of designers are trained with these skills. Yeah. We also need, and this is what you are doing and we are doing it too, we need to do um, a continuing education or executive training, you could call it, yeah. to take the current designers and or current design leaders and give them... The new types of tools, give them the new types of perspectives and approaches. And so we actually at the DDC also do uh, quite a bit of executive training and leadership. It's shorter workshops, it's seminars, it's partnering with a a couple of MBA educations. um, And it's sometimes... Uh, doing talks over at the design academies. Um, I'm personally a member of the of the uh, board of the Royal Academy of Design and Architecture here in Copenhagen. Yeah. Um. So we do engage with those actors, but I would say, our role apart from doing you know some training, is maybe more importantly in sort of raising the agenda together with stakeholders in the Danish you know, design business in yeah. and government ecosystem to say, we really need to now move the design profession qualitatively to a different level in 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 the universities but but also in in continuing education
1: yeah definitely you need this kind of uh uh, top to bottom and bottom to top uh uh, uh, kind of dynamic where you also need to uh, train the organization in a way or make them ready for i mean you can have have the designer follow a nice uh, amazing course and come back after a week and then uh, fall into a culture where it's not supported at all you know just kind of new thinking exactly you need exactly. to have both uh, both forces yeah definitely i i completely agree with that um you, you might even say yeah hey, so we're danish and dutch uh, uh our countries are quite similar in many mm-hmm. ways um yeah. uh, but yeah. if you if you look for example at the netherlands um we we have uh, high hopes we always have like high ambitions um, mm. we do a lot of design we we th- we already for many decades i, I might mm. say we we think differently about design and have a systems view on things we like to landscape stuff <laughs> so it's really very much designed yeah. everything around us yeah? Yeah. um on the other hand uh, we 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 think we are sustainable we think we are uh you know on top of the list but we are actually most often on the bottom of a of lists where we uh, yeah. you know, of clean air uh, or pollution or you know ambition in terms of uh, green energy mm. and uh, this frustrates me a lot um uh, i'm not sure how how denmark is doing but um probably better uh would you say that you know you have a role there also as a, as a center in this kind of new transitions and um how do we make sure that we are not you know keeping these two forces and that we really m- mix and match them Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I don't think Denmark is doing that much better. I mean, uh, you know, there's uh, something called Earth Overshoot Day. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and so by what date have you used your fraction of the world's resources? And in Denmark, it's sometime in March. Oh, wow. Uh, so what, but what we tell ourselves in Denmark, and you may do the same, is that it may be that we have a way too high a footprint uh, on the planet as mm. uh, Danes. But because we have such great companies that are providing all the different solutions, whether it's clean uh, energy or it's uh, circular products or uh, whether it's uh, data or, or digital that are good for the planet, we actually are making a big contribution. And so maybe it's all right that we we, we spend too much ourselves. But of course, that's, that's in a way hypocritical. I mean, we do need to look inwards and, and find ways to walk the talk, you can say. And so I think... Um, there's a huge agenda to address our own backyard uh, at the same time as we go out into the world with the experiences we have and the skills and competencies we have, some great companies. Um, but I think what we, in a way, are saying with uh, the mission oriented approach is that there are some new markets that must be created, that there's some huge challenges to address. And as we do it, we need to fold in designers fold-in professional designers and and agencies, but also fold-in companies with solutions uh, in in new types of partnerships. And that's becoming, I think, um, uh, our biggest challenge, right? It's like how do we build those long-term, impactful partnerships that both address something at home, but actually also... Uh, play a role uh, internationally. I mean, one example that that I actually met with some folks in Netherlands about recently is the new European Bauhaus. Yeah, of course. This is um, the big European Union program on how architecture and design and, and the arts can really drive the green transition in our cities mm-hmm. and where we are l- lucky enough to run uh, one of the uh, lighthouse projects uh, that have been uh, funded by the european commission and here the idea is to demonstrate in local settings both at home in denmark but actually also not in, in a few other countries mm-hmm. how can designers and architects really transform an urban environment transform building in uh, in ways that are both sustainable that are socially inclusive and are, and are, and are beautiful that are really attractive and yeah. aesthetic uh, we we call it uh, designing the irresistible circular society, and the ir- irresistibility being the key the key argument here, and and we think that um, you know in a way going out of all the crisis, we also want to propose some positive visions of a good society and 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 a and a, and a great place to be, as we solve this, and that's uh, that's the ambition there.
1: Yeah, and and probably we also have the same issue with the farmers at the moment eh? in in our I countries. I hear that. What would you say we as designers can do for that problem, for that issue? Because you talk a lot about about redesigning behaviors, also. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, mm-hmm. what should we, you know, tell the farmers? What can we design for them so that they also transition with us? Because of course, um, for them, it's just uh, about their pension, it's about mortgages, mm-hmm. it's about mm-hmm. uh, livelihood.
0: Exactly. No, I've been following from a distance the the farming. Uh, Crises or challenge you have in the Netherlands. And I'm also aware that there actually are strong designers in, in the Netherlands uh, working on that uh, challenge, um, both from the academic side and also from the, from the advisory side, which I think is, is really interesting because it seems to me, again, seen from abroad. So with, with respect for not knowing it fully, that there is a huge systemic challenge there where many actors need to begin to act differently. And I think you know, a couple of points around what design can do there, and um, maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but obviously, empathizing with the different actors, including the farmers and their families and their situation, is one piece of it. Understanding the context of their work and their lives, why they do what they do, what it takes to run their their businesses, but also empathizing with the other actors and stakeholders. Oh, you know, by the including, by the way, which is a point in, in in expand the book, including you know nature as a stakeholder and as yeah. a as a as a as a an actor that we need to take care of, and which is, of course, is where the whole crisis is maybe starting from. Um, I think, in a way, it, even though that kind, of, kind of problem is is very unfortunate, it's also an opportunity to demonstrate what design can do. Mm-hmm. What can design do in empathizing with all the actors to begin to look at different types of relationships, to begin to think about, you know, how do we transition to a different place? What is then the future of farming? Now, we don't have the same kind of crisis in Denmark, but we have worked with the Farming uh, and, and Food and, and Agriculture Association here on their long-term mission on, you know, the future of food systems and future of farming. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually speaking to a group in Sweden that are doing the same uh, here in January. And so I think realizing that this is a long-term systemic change, realizing that our habits, our behaviors, say, will need to change in terms of consumption, will need to change in terms of what we consider uh, uh, you know, a, a, a luxury meal. It maybe it does not include uh, beef uh, at some point, right? Or, or uh, maybe luxury is something else, you know, and maybe a, a daily meal is something else. Uh, we worked. I worked with a, a a guy from a think tank here in Denmark who said that the most important decision-making place in the green transition is the dining table. Oh, yeah. The dining table in the family, in the home, that's the most important decision-making place at all because that's where you choose all these things, right, or, or don't choose these things. Yeah. And, and around the kitchen table, by the way, is also your building and your heating and your energy and your new artifacts in your room and your lighting. So actually... If you think about that as the epicenter of, of the green transition, that opens up a really interesting space for designers. Yeah.
1: This is interesting. We have a we have a program here. Uh, it's a consumer program, or at least a very critical consumer program here in the mm-hmm. Netherlands. It's called Koedingsdienst van Waarde. <laughs> and it states that they research products and see what's real and what's not and, and what's mm. in it and how are we fooled. Um, right. Well, even if we make certain choices at the dinner table, it's also mm-hmm. sometimes like, you, you, not very transparent. Huh? So, yeah. how can we design the transparency within the yeah. system then? And um, yeah. uh, so, for example, just um, uh, pasta sauce, uh, the, the tomato in it, uh, it says like fresh Italian tomatoes and they come from Turkey or they, you know, right. and, and, and not only that, there's also just another, another list of lies that is uh, underneath yeah. it. Um, so how do we design that?
0: Yeah, no, but but that's a really good point. I mean, I, um, uh, we just had a discussion uh, actually with, with a leader in the, in the um, packaging industry who says, well, you know, we, we may want to use biodegradable plastics for our products, mm-hmm. but actually it's food we have in our products and, and you cannot use it. I mean, it's, it's not good for consumers. It's, it won't work. Mm-hmm. We have to use a different kind of plastic, and how do we do that in a way that's that's sustainable? Because then that's fossil fuel based, um, and then and then it actually matters whether it's a composite material or it's a, it's, a, it's a single mono material, right? So these are very very complex technical issues that we're talking about, and again, I would say that is ripe ground for these good designers to go in and say, not only how do we drive innovation and 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 rethink and reframe what our products and services and and the value chains we're designing and the business models we're designing, but also when it comes to consumers' behavior and ability to make smart choices. Mm-hmm. How do we create transparency? How do we do labeling differently? Okay. And of course, some of this can be industry-led and or, or designers can play a role there, but part of it is also regulation, of course. Yeah. And more and more regulation is coming. There's a You know, uh, eco design uh, directive coming from European uh, Union, which will, I think, make quite a big difference. There are scope three regulations coming, which will make a big difference. So actually, as some some are saying, you know, that now regulation is is driving innovation. You know, the the regulatory demands on all of this uh, that are also, of course, driven by democratic decisions that we as a society need to make those transitions Will then need to. Well, they're, they're putting incredible pressure on companies. Right. I mean, if if companies think that it's just ESG reporting, that that's going to be the challenge, they 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 have it wrong, right? It's actually deep, deep innovation in mm-hmm. what they actually put out into the world. And whether that's making making a positive impact or not, and so that's an incredible yeah.
1: opportunity for designers so, to make a positive difference. So in this sense, we are designing the layers in between, right? So, uh, yes. I mean, there's regulation and the governments, and then in between, yeah. it's it's designers as leaders as transformation, yeah. um, designers, and um, below that, there's of course yeah. all the the engineers actually trying to tackle it.
0: Sure, and, uh, and of course, you can discuss who's below who, but but in a way, it's a, it's yeah. of course also a partnership. But I think in many ways, designers can be they can act as the glue that binds it all right. together. Yeah, and in a way, it, it it designers can build the bridge between the top policy, high mm-hmm. level processes on the one side, and then the the detailed uh, contextual lived life on the other side, in, in at the dining table. And actually, the beauty of design is you, you, designers are comfortable with both, right, with abstract mm-hmm. uh, ideas and uh, concepts and also with tangibility and both with, you know, empathizing with u- users and, and context, but also actually being able to make the things, you mm-hmm. know, design the, the artifacts uh, in new ways. So, so, so the best bet for, for, for all of this is actually in design uh, as uh, both designers, but also design in the, in the broadest of senses
1: exactly and, and it's almost uh, perhaps similar to the mycelium you know the, yeah. the all the roots that are under the forest um, the the fungi yeah. um, so yeah. design is the mycelium and the glue uh, between yeah. it yeah.
0: and of course that's a huge responsibility for all of us working in the space because there's no guarantee that it will be the mycelium right the, no. the, the, yeah. the, there's it's hard work there to yeah. inject and, and position design the right places and and uh, again as you say connecting the things so we we, we need to relate and work with the policymakers work with the business leaders work with the engineers uh but of course the powerful thing is that design can move fluently between those different mm-hmm. spaces
1: so would you say uh, a different question would you say that the danish design center is uh can we copy that to m- many different places in the world or is it uh, um yeah it's not uh, to colonize any <laughs> any countries with the de- with the design centers but yeah yeah we don't we want to do anything th- every- everywhere Because governments are also, of course, uh, governments are different everywhere, and uh, all these these systems are different. Would that work elsewhere? I think in Holland, it might work, you know, it's, it's quite similar. Yeah, and
0: you, you know, you have the Dutch design foundation. So I think you already have some institutions and bodies that are, if not similar, then are playing somewhat similar roles. And, uh, you know, I, I, I met the, the colleagues there and I think they're, they're doing great work. So I think we can learn from each other and, and get inspired from each other there. You have, um, we have sister organizations in Norway, in the UK, in Singapore and, uh, South Korea and elsewhere that are that are actually you know doing I think really really great work. Um, we also see new countries exploring. I mean, there's this, this there was an article last week. Uh, it's uh, it has me in it as well, but it's uh, it's in German. And because in Germany oh, yeah. they they're kind of fascinated with the idea of of a design center and uh, and the role we can play in advancing a, a different form of design than they might be used to. And we see the same in uh, actually in Japan. Uh, that are also uh, exploring whether t- they need this type of institution. So I think the answer is in a way it'll probably need to take a quite different form uh, in terms of setup, funding, governance, and so on. Yeah. But the notion that you need somehow to build an infrastructure of design to support, I mean, to, to, to make that mycelium... Uh, grow and uh and uh and uh, be nourished and 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 make and you know be, be a positive binding force uh, in the transition we need i think actually it makes sense uh, i you know even if you if we didn't have the danish design center in, in denmark uh, i think we'd need to invent it uh, to play that role uh, but of course you're asking this the wrong person because i will always uh, think that what we are doing is, is, is yeah. meaningful right
1: yeah well i think if we'll, uh, if you look at the the other parts of the world um um Initiative like the UNDP uh, Accelerator Labs is quite similar, perhaps, where you have places where there's hubs uh, connected to the government, uh, where design innovation plays a role. Um, Do you know that initiative and and, and do you draw any inspiration from those initiatives where they already have like 60, 70 locations?
0: Yeah yeah, so, so as you know, I was director of Mind Lab for, for, for quite a while and, uh, and uh, I think the Accelerator Labs and, uh, and also other innovation teams uh, are in, in inspired both by that, but also mm-hmm. by other kind of similar early models around innovation labs. Um, uh, for example, Bloomberg Philanthropies runs 50, 53 uh, iTeams innovation teams in cities around the US and, and the mm-hmm. world. Uh, so I'm, I'm very well aware of, of those uh, entities. I think what they are not doing is they are not positioned uh, outside institutions. And that might be a challenge going forward, because if you want to work with real systemic change, um, we actually need to build new types of infrastructure that is not situated inside one organization, like one city or within one UN agency, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know, of course, the Accelerator Labs are also used to sort of build bridges between different parts of the UN system. Um, I think the next challenge for these types of labs will be to open up and to be available as resources for a wider set of actors rather than within single organizations. And so I've written a piece on that recently, actually. I think it's also public. It was in um, the Design Management Journal, Design Management Review, that, that there's like a new... Um, A future in front of us, I think, where we need to take those kinds of actors or entities like the Accelerator Labs to the next level.
1: And what what is the next level? Can you portray us?
0: Well, well, I I think there are two big issues, right, in terms of how we organize for design and innovation. I mean, Mm -hmm. one is that these labs or teams need to be co-owned by more actors and they need to be more mission-oriented, which means they need to Focus on the problem that is worth solving, rather than just being kind of fluently available for anything. So positioning them differently as terms of being part of a wider system that addresses a problem, and then focusing their efforts on that, which means you might need more bespoke uh, teams that are again sort of more targeted. It's one part of it. The other part of it is that that we're experimenting a lot with in our organization is, uh, you know, new ways of managing and new ways of leading. Uh, organizations as such. So if you think that organizations, they are the instrument we have to work together as human beings to address problems. And the organizations we have designed today are built on blueprints from the uh, 18th and 19th century. Uh, Hierarchical, uh, siloed, uh, functionally divided. Uh, Even in spite of some matrix uh, organizations, it's actually very, very, very old-fashioned the way we organize and lead people. And so we think that that's a new space for design, to redesign organizations. and we we actually just launching a program these last weeks uh, from the DDC saying, if we want to achieve impact across these different transitions, we're looking at, we actually, in a cross-cutting way, have to begin to redesign how we fundamentally organize, how we lead, how we make decisions. And so you know labs won't do it. Imagine if the UNDP, or UN agencies or even the whole UN system was organized in a way that's matching the 21st century. Right. Highly digital, highly distributed, highly networked, collaborative, open, thriving uh with, you know, uh, it, beyond politics. Uh, I mean, there's so many things and what impact would that have? That would probably be 100 times more than having 60
1: accelerated labs. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm on the same page on that. <laughs> <laughs> you have, right? Yeah. And, 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 uh, to make it even a bit more personal, um, uh, to talk about you. Uh, so, you know, in design, we always ask these questions like how might we, so that, uh, so, and, and to make it a bit more personal, we always like to rephrase that, um, uh, to, to say, how might I, so that we, mm. that's really the force, you know, it comes yeah. from us. Uh, yeah. How would you formulate that? How might you? yeah what so that we all can
0: yeah so so i always thought about myself as a as a storyteller uh, and and maybe that's part of what i do at least so i think it's you know how might i tell the right stories so that we can truly address the challenges
1: we're facing as humanity and as as the planet Right and then and then these stories hey you talk you tell them all around the world mm. and in your new book um yeah. who should pick it up who yeah. should pick up that book
0: Well of course it's a book for designers it's a book for decision makers it's a book for innovators for policymakers. but i think actually and this is in the spirit in which it was written by by Jens Martin and me it's a <laughs> book for the enlightened citizen it's a book for those that are concerned with the state of the planet and uh, society, and is looking for inspiration on uh, how to think differently. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think the messages in the book, the cases, the examples can inspire and and in, in, in enable empower uh, anyone to 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 look differently and uh, at both their professional work, uh, but maybe also at their own lives. Is it a book that will last? Oh, that's always the good question, <laughs> right? Is it is is it timeless or is it uh, for this time? I think um, obviously. I mean, we've actually avoided too many, uh, too many. Uh, uh, you know, uh, saying what year things are happening Maybe. because we we wanting to write it as a more universal story. Yeah, and we wanted to write to it as something that would be you know have a legacy in saying. When, when we are facing big challenges in society, uh, we need to first and foremost, think differently about them. And I'm hoping that message that to think differently, take a step back before we act is a timeless one, but whether the book will last, mm-hmm. I'd love to do a second or third edition and we can add more expansions. It has six points now, maybe there's a seventh we need to involve as well. That's so nice. but I'm hoping for the second edition.
1: There's always space for more, eh? yeah. There you go. All right, so let's do close. Um, this, this is the final episode, so it has to be a good one. Uh, Dear Future, I'm Ready. That's the name of the podcast and the series is 21 for 21. Um, but we always promised our audience uh, answers, uh, uh, or not any answers, to be honest, more questions. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. to just pose this, this phrase, Dear Future, I'm Ready, uh, I, I think you kind of already just did. Um, how would you finish that sentence from your own personal perspective? Dear Future, I'm Ready. And um, give our audience the last and final future vision. Eh, it's stretching it as you call it, also in your book.
0: Stretching it, stretching the future. Stretching the, the future. Well, dear future, I'm ready to stretch you. I'm ready to uh, expand you, and I'm ready to shape you in a way that's good for us all and good for the world we live on.
1: Let's all stretch that future. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dear Christian, future. Future. <laughs> for being with Dear us future. and uh, Dear this future. wonderful Dear conversation. future. Dear future. Dear future. Dear future. Cool. Dear future. Dear future. I'm ready. This is Dear future. I'm ready. Dear future. I'm ready.